Welcome to the Chronically Living and How to Make the Most of It podcast. I'm Kelsey Harris, a chronic pain warrior, here to inspire hope and strength to the Spoonie community. Get ready to lift each other up and find ways to live the best life possible. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Chronically Living and How to Make the Most of It. Thank you to everyone for tuning in today. This week, I have an amazing guest who, in addition to being a chronic illness warrior, uh, is a disability lawyer and advocate. Ashley Jacobson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So um, first of all, I just, I was curious, um, before we get into kind of the disability rights stuff um, and what you do as a lawyer, um, about your chronic illness journey, um, and if you can kind of give us an overview of it and how your diagnoses came about. Sure, sure. So um, I think like a lot of us, uh, there was a lot of misdiagnosis um, in finding the correct issues going on. And so I grew up super athletic. I was a competitive figure skater. And when I was, I think I was like 19, I was like, I'm going to run a half marathon. I was never a runner. So I don't know why I thought I could do it, but I did. And then like two months after I ran the half marathon, one day I'm in my apartment and I just like dropped to the floor. Oh, wow. Um, I was having like muscle spasms. I was having this really severe pain, um, abdominal pain, back pain. And I was like, well, what the heck is going on? And you know, when you first start getting symptoms, it's really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept going to the emergency room Uh, which was not super helpful and somewhat traumatic. Uh, So I eventually decided, you know, listen, I'm just going to reach out to the best specialist I can find, um, no matter how far, like I need to go to find them. And so eventually um, I finally did that. I went to the Boston Center for Endometriosis um, and they were amazing. I was diagnosed with endometriosis um, just before that through laparoscopy um, at the University of Michigan. And so I thought, cool, it's endometriosis. I have my answers, <laughs> Right. <laughs> no more issues, right? Um, you know, not to mention like the lack of great treatments for endometriosis. Mm. Um, I still had these kind of strange symptoms. I was having issues with my bladder, which you know, at 2021 was a little bit concerning. Mm -hmm. And um, finally, I saw a really good urologist who diagnosed me with interstitial cystitis after, you know, tests and procedures and all that jazz. So I'm like, okay, I have endometriosis, I have interstitial cystitis, now I'm good. (laughs) And no. So as you probably know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, if you have one thing, it's common to have like maybe a couple of other things going on. And so um, for years, I just focused on stabilizing my symptoms um, more than like seeking out more information about other diagnoses. Mm -hmm. And so I found a really great pain specialist who totally changed my quality of life because I, for like the first time ever, had appropriate pain management. Um, And then I was in this study at the University of Michigan and I got this experimental medical device Um, in my spine that really helps with my pain. And then I still had these weird symptoms where I was getting like this rash on my cheeks and my nose, really severe joint pain that probably not coincidentally got worse when I was in law school, dealing Mm. with a lot of that stress. Um, And so 
uh, in the past year, I, you know, kept putting off getting, getting it checked out um, until I was like, I'm going to pass the bar exam, then I'll worry about it. Right. Um, and so then eventually, you know, after being a lawyer for a while, I finally got diagnosed with lupus. Oh, wow. So kind of a handful of things, but they're also, you know, pretty commonly shown together in patients. So I'm lucky that I had a super supportive chronic illness community online um, that really like helped me every step of the way. Yeah. The, the online community is amazing. Oh, I mean, I don't know where I would be without them truly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's, I mean, that's quite a journey. Like you said, um, it's pretty common for, for there to be multiple diagnoses. Um, so right. if anybody listening and you, you have one and you feel like you might have another, you probably do, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it just takes a while, you know, especially like doing what I do as a job now. Um, it's been really like, I knew I experienced a lot of like gender-based discrimination when I would like go to the ER and they would be like, oh, it's just the stress. Like it's all in your head, um, you know, or your pain is not that severe. Like it's, you know, endometriosis is just like bad cramps. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what's <laughs> happening. Um, and so it really like took a while for me to build up the confidence to advocate for myself. And now like in my career, I'm seeing just how pervasive of a problem like different levels of discrimination are, whether it's like gender, racial, sexual orientation, like what have you. And so, you know, I'm really hoping that like I can continue to give back to my clients and maybe help them through some of the things that I went through. Amazing. I love that. Um, that's so funny because it's so, so I, I'm a totally different career path, but it's very similar to, to my thinking. Like, I just want to help other people who have been through or are going through the same things as me. Right. Totally. Um, now you refer to your chronic illnesses as disability. Um, and not a lot of people that I know, um, with chronic illness do that, including myself, I never really refer to as a disability. Um, yeah. why do you see them as overlapping? So to put this into perspective, um, I got sick my senior year of college and then I started grad school for disability counseling and assessment. Um, and so I was really experiencing disability for the first time while I was learning about it in grad school, which was a, a real gift. Um, and one of the gifts that that gave me was being able to properly identify, I have a disability um, and I have these rights and I have these supports and resources. And so, you know, legally and otherwise, when we look at the definition of disability, you are considered to have a disability if you meet one of three criteria. So the first is that you have some type of condition, whether physical, mental, cognitive, vision, hearing, that affects, significantly affects one or more major life functions. Okay. And so just that first prong, um, chronic illness meets the definition of disability. Right. And when I was in grad school, like my professors were like, obviously, like <sighs> chronic illness has always been considered a disability. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. The definition shows that it does the social ramifications and the barriers that we face are very similar to that of other, you know, disabled individuals. Um, we face a lot of the same disability discrimination, um, yet in the chronic illness community and even in the disability advocacy community, um, there's been this kind of like disconnect. And I think there are a couple of like main reasons for that. This is just like my theory in like okay. my clinical counseling background. <laughs> but I think a couple things, you know, 
we must remember that people with any kind of disability, chronic illness or not, we're human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're susceptible to human nature. Um, and by being humans, we're naturally, for most people, a little bit competitive <laughs> in yeah. comparing ourselves to others, right? And so being like, well, they're just sick, but it's not the same, you mm-hmm. know? Like it's not, they don't, it's not visible for many people. They, it's an invisible illness, which, mm-hmm. you know, chronic illness is often visible in some ways, but, you know, there's just this different interpretation based on a little bit of that comparison, competitiveness, um, that is inherent in all of us, that I think once we identify that um, and we explain, you know, to other people with disabilities, let's say comparing, you know, comparison isn't great, but if we want to raise awareness of chronic illness as a disability, let's look at the actual experiences of people with various chronic illnesses. You know, myself, for example, um, with my interstitial cystitis, I don't have bladder function. I use catheters every day. Um, I'm up constantly at night. Mm. So I have to like really cope throughout the day and night to be able to function. Um, I had to use medical equipment um, in the workplace. I've needed accommodations in school in the workplace. And so when you look at that condition and chronic illness alone, that's something that a lot of people with other physical disabilities deal with. Right. Um, You know, catheter use and things like that. And then of course, with like the lupus, I have limited mobility often. Um, and so it's really just breaking down that disabled experiences are different. Mm-hmm. Some people with disabilities might have it more visible than others, but people with chronic illness not only meet the definition of disability, but we're just as worthy members in this disability community. And so by like separating and segregating us, it's really kind of dismissive of our Mm -hmm. experience living with disability. And so I really tried to like raise awareness of that. Yeah, I like that. That's that. I mean, it makes so much sense. Like you said, it it fits the definition. And it's interesting because I I never personally grouped that together. But when I've used too many sick days at work in the past, they put me on short term disability. Right. Well, clearly, then it's a disability, right? Yeah. Well, I think for myself, I went through this a little bit too, where, um, this like internalized ableism Mm. that we often talk about in the disability community where it's like, you know, I I don't see myself as, you know, I'm not using a wheelchair all the time, even though I was an ambulatory wheelchair user for years, I still didn't see myself as valid in the disability Mm. community because like, I didn't need a wheelchair all the time. Um, And so there was that, but then also like accepting that you have a chronic condition that is a disability is a process. Um, And so it's okay if like a person doesn't identify as having a disability, if they have chronic illness, as long as they know that they have disability rights and resources regardless. Right, yeah, for sure. Um, So all your experiences with having chronic illness and then um, obviously your master's was um, more in the disability category. Is that what just made you decide to become a disability rights attorney? Yeah, so I actually had some really wonderful counseling clients. Um, I worked for a nonprofit. I've worked for like universities and their disability resource um, departments, but I worked for this nonprofit where I was working with individuals, adults um, and young adults with different disabilities um, in the workplace. And so I would help them, you know, maybe find a good job fit, 
um, do testing and implementing accommodations in the workplace and just kind of supports for like independent living and things like that. And so I had over the course of one week, I had three separate clients deal with the legal system. And in my belief, um, they were handled inappropriately, um, especially by the police. Mm. And so I had this one client that like really sparked my interest in going to law school, which made my mom happy because she's a lawyer and she's nice. always told me you should be a lawyer. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And of course, like she was right. Um, but I had this one client who over the weekend, um, so I saw her during the week, but over the weekend she was mugged and she has a communication disorder that like limited vocabulary. And so she called the, or she called her mom who called the police um, to report that she had been mugged. And when the police arrived, they couldn't understand what she was saying. So they assumed that, you know, she was the criminal. She had done something wrong. She wouldn't answer their questions in their perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and so even though there was like a reason for it and it was disability based, they arrested her. Um, wow. And that same day, she signed a plea deal, not understanding really what that meant um, for her life and being you know, the provider for her family and her kids. And so it really upset me that people with disabilities can take, get taken advantage of mm -hmm. um, in our legal system. And it's so easy to happen, not because the disability community is especially vulnerable, though there are some statistics that show certain populations can be, um, but mostly because people in our legal system have no background with disability at all. Right. And yeah. so literally that day I signed up for the LSAT five months later, I was in law school and wow, <laughs> yeah. you know, and all it takes is one experience sometimes to, to kind of shift your perspective. Right. So makes Definitely. sense. Yeah. Um, so what exactly do you do at work? So what is a disability rights attorney? What kind of problems do your clients come to you with? Yeah. So I, um, really focus on providing comprehensive disability services. So I have this kind of unique background as you talked about with like my disability counseling and assessment, um, which is for me um, a real plus because then I can do really thorough assessments to show, look, this person needs accommodations, they're entitled to accommodations in school or the workplace. I know that from my background, here's the evidence. Why aren't you giving this to them? Um, and so I really use that kind of holistic approach to design my law firm. Um, so on the legal side, I focus at Jacobson Law and Advocacy. I do one of two things, I protect their rights. So like discrimination and accommodations and things like that in schools um, or in the workplace um, or even in courts. Okay. And then when it comes to the other kind of prong that I focus on on the legal side is protecting their futures. So making sure that whether they're working or not, they have the best benefits they can have. They have the best like trust to protect their assets. Um, and then of course, like also doing advocacy to try to like deal with things like marriage equality for people with disabilities and reproductive equality and you know, this and right. that. Um, and then, you know, on the side, I kind of do this consulting um, where I do like inclusion trainings. I've done a lot of um, trainings and panels on like policing and disability and things oh, cool. like that. Um, but yeah, I, I really try to provide kind of any disability service that somebody might need just because 
like there's no one-stop shop like that currently and um, at least not in my area right and a lot of lawyers especially they hear disability law and they think just social security disability um and living with disability is so much more complex than that mm-hmm. yeah for sure um so how if someone's listening and they're they're facing some kind of issue at work or school like how do they know if they should be seeking out a disability rights lawyer yeah and so you know i'll preface this by saying like a little disclaimer because i am a lawyer um you know whatever kind of like things we talk about here it's just kind of like educational in nature so definitely seek independent advice from like a lawyer in your area if you do have a specific legal question. Um, But with that being said, before you decide if you even need to seek out an attorney, I would try to find attorneys in your area that are actually equipped with the training and background to understand and thoroughly provide for disability needs through the legal process. And so I often recommend that if you, especially like if you're a parent of a child with a disability or you grow up with a disability or you acquire it later on, regardless, you need to make sure that you know an attorney that you can reach out to in an emergency because you don't know when Mm. that's gonna be. And you want that person to be experienced and to understand and ideally have, you know, background in serving a client like yourself. Um, And so I would say try to find at least like one or two options before you even need an an attorney. Um, But that being said, if you're dealing with a current issue, um, I would just immediately start looking around for attorneys that that specialize in disability rights, not social security disability alone. Um, That's like a big, you know, misunderstanding because honestly, you search disability and law, and that's the only thing that comes up often. Mm. Um, And so you also can look at sites like the ADA site, the Americans with Disabilities Act site. They've got a bunch of resources and questions, um, like frequently asked questions where people say, you know, this happened to me at work or at the doctor's office or in school. Um, Is that okay? You know, and you can really do your own research, uh, which I recommend because a lot of times, people in the disability community are kind of expected to like let other people take the wheel. And, you know, we, for the most part, are really capable, empowered beings. And so like anybody else, do your research on the legal issues and on the situation you're facing um, before you go into an attorney. And then a lot of attorneys offer like initial consultations for free or like a free 15 minute phone consultation or things like that. So, you know, there are options if money is tight. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Can you tell us a bit about some of the prominent disability uh, rights laws that um, anybody listening should be aware of? Yeah. And so when it comes to like chronic illness specifically, um, there are a couple of laws that will probably arise. And so Often, I know when I first got sick, a lot of the conversation that I was seeing was about like in the workplace, how do you handle having a chronic illness? And so um, the main law, of course, a lot of people have heard about is the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA. Um, Also, you know, like FMLA and short-term disability and things like that come up. But the ADA is really crucial in providing disability rights to people with chronic illness and any disability in the workplace. And so under the ADA, you're entitled to reasonable accommodations when you're at work. 
And what's been really interesting with the pandemic um, is we're seeing how things that workplaces previously thought were unreasonable are now reasonable. Right. Um, which is frustrating. <laughs> For but, sure. <laughs> but the plus is now people in the chronic illness and disability community, they have more leverage when seeking accommodations. And so working from home was seen as like, oh no, that's impossible. Like mm. we don't do that here. Um, and now it's more possible. And it's something that with, you know, my lupus, especially, um, which has been flaring, you know, it's been really great to do like hearings online right? Um, and to meet with clients online. And it's actually beneficial for a lot of my clients that aren't feeling well, that wouldn't want to come into a legal office, frankly, to begin with. Yeah. Um, and so when it comes to like reasonable accommodations for chronic illness, sometimes people ask, well, what can I ask for? Um, some of the common accommodations that are usually reasonable would be like bathroom breaks throughout the day, like not being penalized for needing to go to the bathroom during a meeting, um, you know, additional time on assignments as long as it's reasonable. So like, you know, not taking several weeks to turn in something that's due in a couple of days, but, you know, maybe a little leeway there. Obviously another accommodation is, you know, attending doctor's appointments as long as it's not excessive, um, which is where workplaces and employees sometimes disagree. Um, but those are common accommodations, but also like dealing with pain in the workplace mm -hmm. or dealing with nausea, like having access to medication and storage for those medications, like all of these different things and symptoms that affect you with your illness, ideally, and this is what I did with my counseling clients, break down everything that you do throughout the day, every symptom that you see pop up, and then ideally, in what world would you be able to do things either easier or you know more accessible um, to meet those symptom needs yeah. in the workplace? So the ADA is great for that. Um, but it, it's also, you know, kind of closely tied with the Rehab Act, um, which, you know, Section 504 comes to play a lot when it comes to disability discrimination. And Section 504 of the Rehab Act and the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act are tied really closely if you're like in high school or younger and you're dealing with schools and like special education programming of which a lot of people don't realize chronic illness students do participate or can participate in that. Hey everyone, I wanna tell you about trulydivine.com who has a unique offering at a great value. The new year is upon us and it's an excellent time for a new perspective, especially if you're on a personal development journey like I know many of you are. A fresh perspective can change everything. Astrology and numerology can be excellent tools for self-awareness and self-discovery. Self-awareness is so important for Spoonies. Learn more about you or other psychological tendencies, personality traits, emotional triggers, and so much more. You can get a natal birth chart analysis that is approximately 65 pages in length around your unique birth chart. It's very in-depth and easy to understand. Listeners get a very special offer of 25% off with the discount code FREE25. That's F-R-E-E-2-5. They also offer a relationship analysis, which is an excellent tool for revealing how you interact with another individual and to overcome any challenges in your relationships. 
Head over to trulydivine.com, T-R-U-L-Y-D-I-V-I-N-E.com to take advantage of their wellness services and this offer. Um, it's, it's interesting with all that, um, you know, I, I was thinking about how great my last workplace was with, um, accommodations, um, which I realize is not the case for everybody, but I actually didn't really think about how great they were until you went, kind of went through the things that you can ask for. Um, and sometimes it does just mean like asking for it. Like I would just go up and be like, Hey, like, I need to sit in a chair. Like I'll, I yeah. can sit because I was in retail, so I was standing. So I was like, I just need to sit in like a higher chair, and then be like, mm-hmm. okay, like sure. It was like, right. Well, and like that's so amazing because I do see a lot of workplaces that are really hesitant. A lot of it is just like an ego power struggle yeah. kind of thing, which is really unfortunate and just a lack of understanding and background and disability, especially for a lot of like small business owners. Right. Um, but I also recommend, I mean, there are a lot of accommodations that you can implement yourself that most people don't even notice, you know, like I use weighted writing utensils because my pain, um, my chronic pain has caused a tremor disorder in my hands and feet. And so like, unless I'm pointing out that my pens look a little different, nobody is really noticing. Right. Um, and so there are like little things you can do people with chronic illness, like myself, like, you know, keeping a subtle heating pad at your desk, yeah. ice packs, like things like that you can do, even if like you're nervous to talk to an employer about that. Yeah, no, those are great suggestions, totally. Um, now, when people do face stigma, discrimination, lack of access to accommodations um, in either school or work uh, because of their disability, what are some of the like specific things that they need to know um, to make sure that these accommodations are taken care of, or if they are facing discrimination, what can they do specifically? Yeah, and so when it comes to like school and work, some strategies are similar and some are different. Um, So it's important to know that in school, as you get higher in the education system, there's this idea that has been kind of established um, that, you know, sometimes I challenge that as you get older and as you seek like a higher level of education, you're supposed to be provided less support. Um, And so like, for example, I see a lot of people that receive special education services, whether it be like extra time on tests for ADD or, you know, chronic illness needing to have time off from school or to do school from home and um, or from the hospital. And then when they go to college, Um, their disability resource office and undergrad is like mostly willing in many places to provide accommodations, but maybe not quite as thorough as your, you know, high school special education programs did. And then once you get into grad school and medical school and law school, um, it gets harder and harder to one, request these accommodations, two, get them approved, and often if they're not approved to appeal them. And so it's important to know that like, depending on where you're at in the education system, they might handle things differently. Um, But that being said, whether you're in school or the workplace, if you feel you're entitled to an accommodation, and honestly, if you even want to just try and see what they say, um, even if you don't know, like you're exactly entitled to it, like the worst thing they can say is no, Right. right? And then if they say no, 
then you can, you know, look more into disability rights and the violation of accommodations, you know, providing that. Um, but I also have like a really thorough, great presentation on my social media where it talks about disclosing your disability, um, especially in the workplace. And so when it comes to getting accommodations and dealing with disability at work, you have to be really thoughtful about how you approach that, not just when you bring it up, how you bring it up, who you go to about it. Um, and so I really break down like all of those factors because, you know, for a lot of people, the worst thing you can do is, you know, just kind of bring it up out of nowhere to a boss, like in the middle of a meeting and then like nothing is handled appropriately. So right. you want to be as prepared as possible. Um, and if they are giving you a hard time, keep pushing and educating them on disability rights. Because oftentimes they just don't realize that you have them. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, cool. Um, so that and that presentation you have is on your Instagram or? Yeah, so it's, it's on um, my Instagram, which is at Ashley B. Jacobson, um, A-S-H-L-E-Y-B Jacobson. S-O-N. <laughs> it's kind of long. But um, and then it's also if you search Ashley Jacobson on YouTube, it's like in full there as well. And so um, and it's like on my website, uh, jacobsonlawnadvocacy.com. Um, but it's really thorough. Um, it should answer any questions. But if anybody is like listening to this and has questions about specific accommodations or disability rights, they can feel free to message me or email me. Um, and I'll keep it confidential and everything, but I just like want people to have these resources because it, it can make a world of difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's awesome. Um, so I just started my practicum for my master's of counseling. Um, and my practicum site had me do some online training on my second day, um, which is obviously super fun. Um, but it was, it was really interesting, um, because there was a whole, um, section on using person first language um so for some examples for everyone listening um you would say instead of saying you know some um a disabled person you would say a person with a disability um a sick right. person you say a person with a chronic illness um right so can you tell us a bit why this type of language is really important to use yeah so it's interesting because this, the theory on person first language is evolving. Um, when I was in grad school, they really hammered into person first language. And they said, it's important because you wanna look at the person as an individual um, and not only focus on their disability. Um, and there are many reasons for this. Obviously we know that people with all kinds of disabilities face stigma in the workplace, judgment in the community, um, lack of access and opportunity, unemployment, you know, is really high. And so the idea behind this was, let's kind of take a step back and say, listen, I'm just like a person like you or her or him. Um, and I also happen to have a disability. And so I really took person first language um, seriously. And I still do. I think it's a great baseline if you don't know how a person prefers to be identified. Um, people in the disability community have really advocated for just saying disabled, um, and that's called identity first language. Mm -hmm. And there are good reasons for that too. I personally use both for myself and because people prefer different things. 
Um, but the reason that a lot of people in the disability might be shying away from person-first language as of late um, is because they feel like, I don't wanna, my disability isn't an afterthought. I shouldn't have to hide that as who I am. I'm not ashamed of it. Right. So I totally respect that. I also totally respect person-first language. Um, but I think a lot of their kind of anger towards person-first language is based in feeling like, you know, we're putting our disability after, like it's not, you know, an equal, okay part of who I am. Um, and so I understand that, but the intent behind person-first language was to say, you know, we're not ashamed of our disabilities. We're not hiding them. It's just one part of who we are. Right. And so, you know, for me, I use both. If people say, I prefer you just call me disabled, or if you see them like online saying I'm a disabled person, um, respect that, like always respect what the person wants to be identified as. But person-first language is also a good baseline to be respectful and to acknowledge disability when it's appropriate, but to also like not highlight disability if it's completely irrelevant to the conversation. Right. That's like kind of a level of stigma too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So it, so for anybody listening who's maybe, um, you know, like a friend or family member or something like that, that maybe start with person first language and to less somebody corrects you is a good yeah, Or if like you, I mean, you of course can also ask. Of course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's always possible. But like when you're first meeting somebody, you know, I understand it's awkward to be like, so do you like being called a disabled person or not? Um, but like a good rule of thumb is just to like, if you have access to their social media, usually like you can tell. Yeah, yeah that's fair. <laughs> but, but I mean, person versus language has a lot of merits, especially in the media and how the media has portrayed the disability community. I understand why there's this like lack of trust there that they're going to handle disability appropriately in mm -hmm. their articles. Yeah, for sure. It's very, very similar to um, using it with mental illness um, yeah. as well, because, you know, I, my last course um, I was taking psychopathology and, you know, they really emphasize that, you know, it's, it's people with schizophrenia, not schizophrenics. Yeah. But then when I was talking to one of my friends, she kept saying schizophrenics. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I know. Well, and like, especially when you're trained on person versus language, it's like a little cringe when yeah. you hear people not use it. Um, and so for me, like in disability advocacy, it's been a journey. Like I have never been ashamed of like having a disability or identifying as having one, but I did like misunderstand at first, like the other side's approach to like, no, I like disabled and this is why. Um, and so like kind of through connecting with other disability advocates, I've learned to kind of embrace the term disabled for myself, respect if they wanna use it. Um, but I also like still kind of like person first language when I'm in the workplace. Mm. Um, because unfortunately in a lot of workplaces, especially in like law, um, people focus on disability with the wrong ideas. Right. And that so totally in, in the workplace, like I kind of prefer person first language for myself. Right. Cool. Yeah, totally makes sense. So, I mean, everybody's got to kind of figure it out for themselves is basically yeah. what it comes down to for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Um, you post a lot of tips on Instagram for making um, social media more accept accessible. And actually, like I was going through them and I was like, oh, I think I want to start using some of these. Oh, um, great. So I love that. share a couple of them with us. Sure, sure. So um, this is another thing that like my background and training with my master's really came in handy. 
Um, but also like connecting with other people in the disability community online was really helpful. I'm still like learning a lot always from them. Um, but there are like a couple of things that you can do. And at first it might be like, oh, this is taking like two extra minutes to add this onto my post. It's so annoying. But when you get used to it, it's quick and it makes such a difference for reaching different audiences, but also for like increasing who views your content and who like actually soaks it in um, because studies have shown like captions, for example, I, I have an iPhone and I use the clips app on my iPhone. And if you select captions before you start recording a video, um, it, you know, does the captions while you're talking and then you can go in and edit them. And like, I usually have to fix a few things. Right. Um, and then, you know, the captions are there and it's not only great for people who have hearing loss or who are deaf or anything like that, um, but studies have shown that most people consume social media without the sound on. And so like, think of the person, you know, on their phone at work on the toilet <laughs> or yeah. like sitting at their desk, they wanna be kind of secretive about it, um, you know, or like, you know, unfortunately like teenagers in school or whatever. But, you know, most people prefer to have captions. Um, and so you're going to reach a wider audience, but it's also going to be accessible to literally like hundreds of thousands of people with disabilities that otherwise would have not been able to consume your content at all. Um, so captions are really great. I, again, I use the Clips app, but there are many different apps for that. Um, also, like if you're doing, you know, like images, like on Instagram, for example, maybe not as frequently on Facebook, but for like Instagram or anywhere where you're sharing images, um, putting an image description. So what I like to do, and this has kind of evolved a little bit because now you can add an image description actually like in the image. Um, and so for image descriptions, this is what I do. I post the image in the caption at the bottom, I'll put an image description. So like, for example, picture my dog or cat. <laughs> I'll say, you know, a dog and cat cuddling on a couch. Right. And that's the image description. And I put it in brackets at the end of my post. And then I copy that. And then it, on Instagram, and I have videos actually on my page showing you how to do this. But um, you at the very bottom under the advanced settings, when you do a post on Instagram, if you click that, it'll show alt text. And then you just copy and paste the image description there. That way, if they use screen readers, like if they have low vision um, or if they're blind or, you know, for a variety of reasons, people use screen readers, they can have the alt text version or they can just see the image description in your post. Um, and it, again, probably sounds like this would take a lot of extra time from my long discussion of it, but it really is pretty quick. Um, and so captions, image descriptions, um, I always try to, if possible, add as many like options as I can for consuming it. So if I'm posting a video, um, even if it wouldn't normally have sound, I might record audio over it to explain what's happening um, for that presentation for disclosing your disability at work. I actually like speak out the slides as well as showing the words, like the text on the page and including captions and a transcript. So like really you just wanna think of, you know, people who have their vision affected, people who have their hearing affected, um, people who have like different disabilities or neurodivergence that, you know, makes sensory really overwhelming. How can I adjust the colors or the, you know, 
video and everything, the graphics to make it more sensory appealing. Um, and so again, I have a lot of like tips on that on my page, but captions, image descriptions are a good way to go. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The, the captions, the image descriptions were the ones that I was like, Ooh, I think those aren't too hard to do. So yeah. Well, and another great one, actually, I had somebody, um, mention this to me is if you have a lot of images that have like a white background with like black text for people with different, like vision disabilities, that contrast can be startling and like a little bit difficult to read. So even sometimes just changing the filter on even mm -hmm. text images that you post can make a huge difference to make the white a little less stark right? Um, and a little bit easier to process. And so there are tons of pages online that like give little tips on this. Um, obviously like my page, <laughs> but like uh, Tiffany Yu, who, you know, is great. She's like, I'm Tiffany Yu on Instagram. She provides a lot of tips. Um, Project Hearing, it's run by Mariella. She does a lot of tips regarding like hearing loss and deafness and content. So just really like if you search the hashtags for accessibility online, you'll find a bunch of stuff. Awesome. That's so great. Um, I know you kind of ran through your social media before, but can you just give it to us again? Um, so your social media accounts and where people can reach out if they have questions. Yeah, definitely. Um, so my Instagram, I have my personal one, which, you know, I have the most content on. It's at Ashley B. Jacobson, A-S-H-L-E-Y-B. J-A-C-O-B-S-O-N. Um, I also have an Instagram for like my law firm, which is JLA Firm. Uh, and then I can be reached via email, um, ashley at jacobsonlawandadvocacy.com. Um, also, if you go to like my website, jacobsonlawandadvocacy.com, there's like a contact box uh, that's easier than maybe typing in that long email address. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, anytime anybody, even if they want to like message me on Instagram with a question, if I can't help, I'll find somebody who can. Um, you know, I can do legal services in the state of Michigan, but I can do consulting services really nationwide or even internationally. Nice. So, um, you know, I'll do whatever I can to help. That's amazing. Um, Ashley, thank you again so much for coming on today. Uh, this has been like super informative and I really appreciate it. So I know the listeners do as well. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Kelsey. I really appreciate all that you're doing um, for the chronic illness community and, you know, with your career, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so that's much. amazing. And, um, you know, thanks for having me on. I'd love to do this again sometime. Yeah, I definitely think we could probably make that happen in the future again. All right, and everyone listening this week, remember, keep making the most of it. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Chronically Living Podcast. If you love this week's podcast, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Until next week, stay strong.